Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? My name's Jack. I'm Nat. And I'm David. guest david is going to be talking to us about something exciting related to voting (laughs) very excited to hear about it because voting is coming up so in the united states the u.s is about to have a really big election this fall yeah as of today we are 93 days out from the election and uh it's gonna be pretty insane probably the most unique election of our lifetimes during a pandemic countless americans are getting prepared to vote by mail and uh we have (laughs) no idea what things are gonna look like lines that are already pretty long are gonna be social distanced with six feet between people we might have some lines stretching a mile long across cities so none of that to discourage people but people need to be prepared ahead of time with how they're gonna vote this year if people are gonna vote by mail they should be applying for ballots already Mm -hmm. david actually uh, is the one who encouraged me to register absentee so i can vote by ballot this fall so good job david thank you thank you for doing so (laughs) voting by mail is pretty interesting in the united states too because like i i live in montana 40 percent of people here vote by mail on a normal year just everyone does oh wow is it because like polling places are far apart or like why do people vote by mail that's a big part of it because i mean montana is insanely spread out but also kind of the culture of the west you know like oregon and washington ballots are automatically mailed to registered voters in arizona 80 percent of people vote by mail wow i had no idea David's from Nebraska. I just know this because we're pals. But um, so you're voting in Montana this fall, are you? Yeah. Okay, so how does that work if you're from Nebraska? What if you're from one state and you move to another state? Which state do you vote for? Where do you register absentee? Uh, Well, you can only vote in one state and it has to be a state where you live. So for me, I could vote in either Nebraska or Montana because I'm a permanent resident of Nebraska technically and I'm I'm registered to vote there. But there are different rules for each state for who can vote. In Montana, they're really relaxed. You have to live here for 30 days. I don't know what else, but it's it's very simple. And I will have been here for <laughs> a lot more than 30 days. So yeah, I'll be voting in Montana. Like I voted in Ohio two years ago, but I don't have an address there anymore. So I can't vote there. Can you vote by mail in every state? Or are there some states that don't allow it? You can in every state, but there are some states where you need a reason. Oh. 
You need to prove why you want to vote by mail. Since we're in a pandemic, you would hope that everyone would say, yeah, you can vote by mail, but unfortunately not. I think that like 40 states, you can vote by mail, at least during the pandemic though. Do you have a list of states by any chance off the top of your head where you would have to prove that you need to vote by mail? Southern states. Gotcha. But yeah, the thing about voting by mail is uh, it can be tricky for the infrastructure of a state. In Michigan, in 2016, 500,000 people voted absentee in their primary. But for the 2020 primary, 2 million people voted absentee. Whoa. (laughs) It's hard for states to handle that uptick of volume, which is why if you're voting by mail, you want to do so way ahead of time. Mm -hmm. You want to be super prepared. Also, for mail-in ballots or absentee voting, your ballot will be mailed to your address. Then you can either mail it back out to your election office or you can drop it off in person at your election office or a secure Dropbox. And that's a good idea for this election to not overwhelm the mail services. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Because there's not a lot of time, too, to prepare to go from, like, the 500,000 people to 2 million. Yeah. And I think, too, at least in Ohio, it has to be received before a certain date. Like, they can't receive it on election day, from my understanding. Is that standard for all of the states? Is there like a certain time that you should be making sure you've mailed your ballot in? It varies per state. There are some states where it has to be received by election day. There are other states where it has to be postmarked by election day. So they can come in days later and still count. But especially out east, I was reading that Michigan ballots have to be received by election day. And election day is what day this year? November 3rd. Okay, so if you're voting absentee, make sure that you send out your ballot way before November 3rd. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like three weeks if you're mailing it. If you're pushing it close, bring it to a secure Dropbox or your election office. If I register to vote absentee, do you know when they're supposed to send that to me? If I like haven't received my ballot by a certain date, is there something I should do? Someone I should contact? Well, you'd want to contact your local election office. It honestly varies by state. There are some states where this is a lot more difficult than others. I can speak mostly for Montana, where it's it's pretty easy here. You can track your ballot. You would want to talk to your local election office or check the Secretary of State website for your state. I also wanted to talk about uh, why voting is important. When you ask a lot of people why they vote, I think they'll say, because we live in a democracy and it's important to make your voice heard or you can't complain about what happened. That's definitely true. And the reason voting is important for me is that in a democracy, the more people that vote, the harder it is for the government to get away with doing whatever they want, no matter how it might impact their citizens. So the more people that vote, the more politicians feel the consequences of their constituents and have to accurately represent everyone. Unfortunately, a lot of America's history has been the story of some people trying to stop others from voting. I think we like to think that that's something of the past that ended with the civil rights era, but we have not progressed past voter suppression being an issue. And uh, it's actually been revving up a lot recently as people have relaxed their focus in recent years thinking we've moved on from certain issues. Voter suppression today is actually as serious as it's been in a long time. I've seen a lot of people talking about how like 46% of Americans didn't vote in the last election. Get off your couch, you need to go like it's your fault that for whatever's happened. I even read a Washington Post article it was titled about 100 million Americans couldn't be bothered to vote this year. Wait, 46 percent did not vote in the last election yeah are you kidding me 
That's so much. But the thing is, it's not always that simple as saying 100 million people couldn't be bothered to get up and go vote. A lot of those people wanted to vote, may have actively tried to vote, and simply not been able to. Because for some people, the barriers for voting are impossible to get past. It's hard to wrap your mind around sometimes, especially like voting's always been so easy for me. I've been able to just walk right mm -hmm. in, no line, cast my vote and go. But it's not like that for everyone. Can we talk about some of the barriers that people face when going to vote yeah one of the big ones is shutting polling locations in a second i'll i'll talk about the the voting rights act and how it was rolled back in 2013 that caused a lot of states to flat out start closing mass amounts of polling locations and implementing these strict voter id laws that all really starts with the voting rights act so i'll, I'll backtrack a second to talk about that so yeah i think everyone associates the voting rights act with one of the landslide victories of the civil rights eras, and it was, certainly. Prior to that, some states in the South used loopholes to make their primaries whites only. So minorities could vote in the general election, but it wouldn't matter by then because the candidates would pretty much already be selected. African-Americans would be intimidated by the police and local militias when they attempted to vote. Like, you would have to be a hero to even try to vote in certain states back then. But with the Voting Rights Act, uh, that cut back poll taxes, literacy tests. It increased polling locations in minority areas. It was a very proactive policy. So areas that had a history of discriminating had to have new laws they were trying to implement be approved before they were even put into place. Can we do a refresher on like the poll taxes and the literary literacy test? Yeah, so poll taxes, essentially uh, voters would have to pay a tax every time they wanted to vote. And mm -hmm. for a lot of places, this tax was cumulative. So if you took elections off, that poll tax would grow higher and higher. So if someone was 40 years old and was like, I want to go vote for the first time, boom, look, they'd have this massive poll tax they had to pay. I didn't realize it was cumulative. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, at least in some states. Okay. And it was targeted at mostly African Americans and Hispanic voters. Back to the Voting Rights Act. In 2013, the Supreme Court decided to roll back the Voting Rights Act. By their logic, those issues of voter suppression, racism, wasn't really an issue anymore in the states the Voting Rights Act initially targeted. They said, at this point, it's kind of discriminatory towards these southern states who have to get all of their policies approved. So they decided to roll back the Voting Rights Act. As you can imagine, as soon as they did that, uh, insidious voter suppression tactics started coming back. Interesting. <laughs> After that, about a thousand polling locations were closed in nine states alone. A thousand? Oh my god. Yeah, and that happens primarily in African-American, Hispanic communities where residents might not have access to a vehicle, maybe not even public transportation, and have to walk miles to vote. And there may be one polling location. Voting day isn't a holiday federally, but are there some states that make it a paid work holiday? I don't believe there are any states. I'm not sure, but there has been a lot of talk about that recently. Yeah, because like if you have to like drive like, a couple hours to your nearest polling location and then you don't
don't have the day off of work and polling locations are typically open during the work day like how are you supposed to be able to vote so that's a really big issue too is like if people can't afford to take a day off of work or their employer doesn't allow them to take a paid leave <laughs> it's not good at the same time states started implementing voter id laws and along with this a lot of them started shutting down dmvs which is where you go to get a driver's license and again this happened mostly in black communities i read that oh in some areas in texas you have to drive 250 miles to get a voter id oh my that's gosh ridiculous. what yeah that's yeah. insane and you have to have certain, you have to have like a birth certificate or certain documents to prove you are who you are. And not everyone has those. For some people, it's hard to, maybe if you weren't born in a hospital, that's not so easy to get. Yeah, it takes a long time to get like a copy of your birth certificate. And it's a lot of money yeah, too. Yeah. Like it's like a hundred dollars mm. or something like that. Like it's ridiculous. So to see the actual effects of that in Milwaukee in 2016 compared to 2012, 50,000 fewer votes were cast in the presidential election. Whoa. A lot of the media was saying like the African-American enthusiasm is not as high, but no, they weren't able to vote because their polling locations were gutted and they implemented a strict vote ID law. What is like the justification that these states use to implement these laws? Like why are they doing it? Like wh- how can they argue that this is okay? It, or like even implanting, like, implementing the voter ID laws, like why are they saying this is a beneficial Yeah, thing? well for the polling locations, it's basically like efficiency reasons or like saving money, but they mostly only cut them in minority communities keeping multiple polling locations open in white communities with significantly fewer citizens. Oh my gosh. For the voter ID laws, it's in an effort to fight voter fraud. I'll touch on that near the end. Okay. But uh, spoiler alert, those voter ID laws don't have any impact at all on voter fraud. That's why they're justified, but there's no statistical basis for it. Mm, Okay. Another voting rights debacle in America is felon voting rights. In the United States, it's really difficult for felons to vote, sometimes impossible. There are only four democracies in the world that restrict voting rights after someone leaves prison, and the United States is one of them. Wow. Felon disenfranchisement, or like felons not being able to vote, that varies state by state. In Maine and Vermont, felons can vote in prison. They don't lose their voting rights, but that is the exception. The United States is the only democracy in the world that in some situations denies voting rights for all felons, regardless of the crime they committed. There's only one state left that does that. It's Iowa. Felons lose their voting rights permanently, regardless of their crime. Wow. Yeah. However, on the bright side, a couple months ago, their governor uh, decided to undo that. Okay. We'll see if that actually goes through. It's a big deal because, like, we have the highest per capita rate of, like, yeah. incarceration. Yeah. Or, like, what do you, like, we just have, like, the oh, most yeah. amount of prisoners. Like, we have, like, a historical high for citizens imprisoned. Even even when rights are restored to felons, though, it's it's not always that simple. In Florida, in 2018, the state voted to restore voting rights to felons, which was a big deal. But then the Florida legislature came out and said, but you have to pay your court fees first. And for some of those felons, their court fees are thousands upon thousands of dollars. And it's hard to get a job after you're out of prison. Yeah. 
and paying that off is no easy task at all. So that's basically a modern day poll tax. Yeah, like being required to pay money to vote, like that that does not sound very democratic. Yeah. <laughs> It's not. Spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> in Alabama, the legislature came out and said that felons couldn't vote if they had committed a crime of moral turpitude, but they didn't state what that meant. Hmm. And they didn't tell the, vel- the felons whose rights had been restored. So no one knew if that meant them or not. Yeah, they didn't tell you, like, your crime was moral. What the hell is moral turpitude? What does that even mean? Turpitude, that sounds like Like, a fake word. It's like severity or something. Uh, And if they went to sign up to vote, they would have to check if they had committed a crime of moral turpitude under fear of prosecution. Well, who's the one deciding? Like, yeah, is it a judge or what? And then do do they have to pay court fees for that judge to decide if it's moral turpitude? (laughs) Yeah. It would be the like the attorney general, uh, the courts. But yeah, so so no one knew. They would go to vote and be like, I don't know if this is me or not. Yeah. Like if someone had a, a drug offense, is that moral turpitude? Yeah, and it's like, are they classifying, like do they have to do case by case, person by person? Or is it like, hey, if you're caught with a certain offense, like all people, if it's like a drug offense, like, but I don't know, but like what if it's like person per person and then that's going to take forever to like figure out if you qualify to vote. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous i think that was the point to make it difficult to make people confused to not know if they can vote or not all in all there are six million americans who have lost the right to vote wow that's a huge number and like that that only hurts our democracy okay can i pose like a question to everyone because i was like talking to like my australian friends and then i think it's the same in britain and malaysia but um because in those countries apparently it's like voting is mandatory so they always have to like you're legally required to vote in every election and so they always have 100 percent turnout but you ha- like you could choose to abstain your vote but you still have to like tell the government like oh i'm abstaining my vote and like at first i was like my like gut reaction was to that was like I'm an American government can't tell me what to do (laughs) and then I was like but like I was like because I was like wow that seems like crazy like they have you have to vote and then like I don't know like what I feel like that's kind of like what a true democracy means like everyone that way like you can't be restricting people's vote yeah just like what do you guys think about that because I'm sure there's like a lot of pros and cons I think with the way there's so many barriers that we're talking about right now to voting if you require felons to vote which means you'd require them to pay court fees I think that's not awesome not super feasible for our country right now but I think that that's the point that we want to get to I think having the option to abstain easily I think that we should also utilize technology with voting I don't know if we have a bunch of Luddites in politics or what Luddite is like someone who's scared of technology but like I think that (laughs) yeah I think we should start utilizing technology to make voting more accessible so Mm. ideally that's where we'd want to be I think that's a better idea it's mandatory to at least say that you're abstaining from voting or to actually place your vote. Yeah. If anyone happened to watch a bit of the of Congress questioning the uh, the tech CEOs last week, I think you would get that they don't have much uh, technological knowledge. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> lacking. Have either of you heard of the Electoral Integrity Project? It's the most accurate measurement for free and fair elections, the most commonly used one. In 2016, they came out with a report that basically said that North Carolina isn't a democracy. 
democracy. Their electoral rating was so bad that they fell somewhere between Iran and Venezuela. What? What does that mean? Like the electoral college doesn't vote the way that general voters are? Yeah, like one party is overwhelmingly receiving seats in regards to how the people vote. The main issue was voting district boundaries. So if you know what gerrymandering is, it's drawing district boundaries in a way that helps your party. So the Republicans in power will decide to redistrict the state and draw out the, the voting boundaries between districts in a way that if the state is maybe like 55% Republican and 45% Democrat, they may be able to draw those boundaries to make them have like 12 Republican seats versus three Democratic seats. The Electoral Integrity Project found that North Carolina's integrity of voting district boundaries was was lower than any country on earth. Oh my gosh. That means that like their boundaries, like their voting district boundaries are just so, like you could tell it's been manipulated so much yeah. and it's like so unnatural. They give them all these crazy names like frog splattered on a windshield because the districts look like they make no logical sense on how they look because they're, they're yeah. drawn specifically to increase voting power for a certain party. So I know in our example we said the Republican Party. Does this happen on both sides or is there like a particular side that has done this more often historically? Yeah, you know, both parties have done it, but uh, <laughs> mostly Republican. Both parties have done this to their own advantage in unfair ways. But if you look at how things stand now, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Georgia, Pennsylvania, their districts are drawn in ways that disproportionately favor Republicans. That's interesting. It'd be interesting to see like the ratio between states that are gerrymandering and what political party represents that state. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like Wisconsin's a pretty split state, you know, but their their state legislature is overwhelmingly Republican. This is something that gets fought in the courts. But honestly, a lot of the time the courts rule you need to redraw your boundaries. And then they just redraw them in another gerrymandering way. It's, <laughs> it's a hard problem to solve. Definitely. Also, just I'm curious, where did that term come from, gerrymandering? Is there a guy whose name was gerrymander <laughs> who started this? It's from like the like early colonial days. Yikes. Uh, this has wow. been an ongoing yeah, issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was first used in 1812. Because the first time it was done, it resembled the shape of a salamander. Oh. <laughs> It was the governor's last name put together with the word salamander. <laughs> it's very creative. Uh, Natalie, you asked earlier about why voter ID laws are implemented. The justification for that is to stop voter fraud. But when you look at all the elections between 2000 and 2016, that's five presidential elections, how many more small ones, that is one billion votes. There were only 44 incidents of voter fraud out of a billion. Oh my- Whoa! That's a point zero zero zero. Zero zero four percent chance. You're more likely to win an Olympic gold medal. Oh my god. So that's the thing about voter fraud. Like talking about it is the point. Trying to turn it into a debate when there is no debate. It shouldn't even be on the agenda. And all of those incidents of voter fraud they did find, maybe like three of them would have been stopped by a voter ID law. I feel like the voter fraud debate I hear all the time, but I actually didn't know the numbers behind it. So I'm glad you put them in the episode. Yeah. Yeah, the whole point is putting that on the agenda, making people worried about it. Nowadays, you hear everyone talking about like mail-in voting fraud, but actually voting by mail, those ballots are under much more scrutiny than normal voting. The only real problem with that 
them is that oh. way too many are rejected because they'll check your signature to see if it matches the signature on your ID. And a decent number of them do get rejected. Wow. <laughs> also, millions upon millions of voters have been purged from the voter rolls to stop voter fraud. That's the thing, like these accusations of voter fraud are speculation, but the voter purging is real. Well, what does that mean? These state governments will remove voters from the voter registration list because they think maybe they moved out of state or something. Like if they see someone who's registered in multiple states, but there have been so many flaws with that. People have been like, uh, I voted in the primary election three months ago and you purged me from the voter roll. And a lot of people show up to vote on election day and find out that they've been purged from the voter roll to stop voter fraud. Can you register the day of to vote or no? Like what if you got purged and then you showed up and that happened? You'd be out of luck. That's another thing like <laughs> in Montana you can register the day of the election. It's so easy out here but like you go to like Georgia mm -hmm. there are so many barriers. It's it's ridiculous. It shouldn't even be a partisan thing. I think there are more ways to fight these issues than there were say 50 years ago. I don't think there's reason to despair, you know, but there is reason to be very careful with voting. Double check that you're registered to know how you're voting, especially this year. Like if you're voting in person, try to vote early if you can. A lot of states offer early voting. Take safety precautions. If you're voting by mail, make sure your signature matches your ID. Mail in your ballot far ahead of time. Take that ballot, drop it off at a drop box if you can, and uh, request an absentee ballot now. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about how they don't like politics, how they're disillusioned, but I don't think that's any excuse not to vote. For me, that comes down to the stories of all those who have fought so hard for the right to vote. You look at how many people are trying to vote and have such difficulties in doing so. I don't think you can look at that and say, well, I don't want to vote because I don't really like either candidate. If voting is easy for you, I think you have a duty to make your voice heard for those who don't have that voice right now. You know, I know we want candidates that perfectly fit everything we want, all our policy wishes, but it rarely works like that. And there is a difference in the leaders that we choose, and it's the vulnerable communities that most feel the effects of that which I think everyone needs to remember when they vote. And I don't think voting has to be a cure-all. Your vote isn't gonna change everything, but it's a first step, it's an important one, and for some of us, it's easy. Yeah, yeah. beautifully said. And I agree, it's not just voting in the general election, it's not just like, I don't like the two candidates for our general election. It's local elections, yeah, primaries, definitely. every single chance you get to cast a vote. It's a privilege and responsibility for American citizens to cast a vote whenever you can. Yeah. Yeah, local elections are, they have like the lowest turnout um, out of all of our different types of elections. But like, honestly, like they, they're so important. And like state officials, county officials, town officials, they have a lot more power than I think people realize. Like oh, attorney yeah. generals. Yeah, the attorney general's the one doing the moral turpin turpentine. Turpentine. Turpentuity. Pick the right one. Yeah. Yeah, I encourage everyone to like do their research. I think there are a lot of websites that I think break down all the candidates for like all these like various positions. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what I'm trying to say, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, we should actually let's try to link that in like the description on the YouTube channel yeah. and the podcast because I'm gonna get off my high horse. I will be the first one to say I do not vote in every single election. I just like mm. I am really like giving good advice that I should be taking. I need to vote more often, and I do not educate myself as much as I should 
to be a good voter. And that's something that I'm working on changing and making an effort mm -hmm. to get better at. Yeah, we're yeah. all learning and we're all learning how to be better proactive citizens of our country. Yeah. For sure. I completely agree. Even in like the 2016 election, like in the general election, I just voted for like president and all the other local um, officials that were on the ballot. I kind of like, I just abstained and I skipped through because I was like, oh, I don't, I didn't even realize they were up for election. I'm like, I don't know who these people are. And like, that's such a waste. And I'm like frustrated myself. But now like is the chance for us to learn. And yeah, it's like all these positions are so important. So everyone should do their research. Definitely. Especially all the new young voters. Right. Our demographic for this podcast is quite <laughs> young. So some of you may be voting for the first time. So get excited, get educated and get ready to vote. For this fall that's right so for my job i've been talking to a lot of voters across america and i've talked to some people who have been so inspiring i talked to this one lady she was 75 years old and she was like i asked her if she would vote absentee she was like nothing short of death will stop me from voting <laughs> Oh my God. She was like, if I become <laughs> sick, I will have my children keep me on life support until November 3rd. <laughs> wow. I was like, this lady. That's amazing. My hero. Yeah. I, think our, I think our generation needs more of that. Yeah. You talk to the older generation, they're always like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing will stop me. That's so true. <laughs> I served, I was like an election judge one year and I swear like 80% of the people that came to vote were like over the age of 65. I was like, wow, the only people showing up, yeah. so. Yeah, well, I mean, think about that demographic. If you're over 65, you probably grew up civil rights era, so you know how much of an honor it is to be able to like have your voice represented. That's true. That's true. Thank you so much, David, for doing this episode and educating us on how to vote. Everyone, get excited. Thank you so much. We all learned a lot. Thanks for having me on your show. Come back anytime. I'm an honored guest. Yeah. <laughs> This has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That? If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know. We thought so, too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.